and I had to initiate everything. He said, I love you. And in my head, I was like, how boss would this be if I got some ass while Rant is playing? I finally can't stall anymore. <laughs> There's nothing else for me to do to be ready. Losing one's virginity is a seemingly defining moment in life when someone has sex for the first time, marking a transition into perceived adulthood. References to virginity are everywhere, and the message in the media tends to be, it's good to be a virgin, but not for too long. In listening to this podcast, you will hear how all different kinds of people lose their virginities. We will talk to people who waited and people who didn't, people who were young and people who were old people who are heterosexual, and people who are homosexual. And honestly, anyone willing to tell their story. Every episode will be different, following each person's experience, from how they learned about sex, to how their views on sex have changed since that very first time. This is V-Card, the Virginity Podcast. I had gotten to the point where I had torn myself up over it so much, over nobody gave me blah, 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 that I was just like, all right, I'm going to relax, I'm going to do me, and if somebody comes along, then that'll be fine. And it was a week after I made that decision that I met her. In today's episode, we will hear from the man in that clip, who waited until he was married for religious reasons. We will get to know him, and why that was important to him, and how it turned out. How old were you when you lost your virginity? I had just turned 24 very, very soon after. Tell me a little bit about you and your life at that time. Well, I was, I was raised evangelical, uh, went to a very conservative Christian school, and uh, had my head full of all kinds of ideas that had only really begun to kind of wear off. I was a couple years out of college at the point, and we had, uh, actually, no, I was, I was only about a year, year and a half out of college. Did and you go to a Christian college? No, I went to NC State. Okay. So I went from a cr- tiny little Christian school with a graduating class of 16 to a 30,000 person university where my religious studies teacher was a woman, which was a big from where I came from. Sure. And did you, um, the Christian school that you went to, you went there in kindergarten through 12th grade? I went in second and then sixth through 12th. So I wasn't there. I didn't get the full experience and maybe, maybe that's, that's why I I didn't kind of stay in it, but. (laughs) But certainly your formative years. Definitely. uh, You were there. Uh, So tell me a little bit about what changed in college. Well, when I was in college, I started basically seeing, I kind of got out of the echo chamber, and I started seeing a lot of things that just didn't add up to what I'd been taught. A lot of the stuff that I had been taught only works if you only ever have conservative Christian evangelical friends. And even if you start getting around Christian friends who are not conservative and evangelical, it starts to fall apart, and you just have to say, okay, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Can you give me an example? Oh, man. Uh, There's a lot of stuff. A lot of the ways that we were taught to talk to people, especially to people who were not Christians, kind of assumed that they knew somewhere deep down that everything we believed was true and everything they believed was wrong. And that is not a great way to get off on the right foot with people. Sure, yeah, making them assume that you're right. Yeah, and we were raised to assume that there were two kinds of people. There were the people that agreed with us and all the things that we've been taught about, you know, the taboos about sex and religion and all that. And then there were the people that knew that that was right, but that intentionally rebelled against it because they wanted to be evil for some reason. And in getting out into getting out into college 
especially taught me that, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to be a good person. And sometimes those things don't overlap well at all, depending on what kind of Christian you decide to be. God, there's a really embarrassing memory that I have of screaming at a brickyard preacher and because he just, I, he made me so angry because he was just spewing so much hatred. And by then, you know, by then I was not, I was no longer on the same page of if they're Christian, they're my, they're my ally, they're my buddy and everybody else is against us. So I saw this guy out there saying he was Christian and just saying the most awful stuff and I screamed at him. Uh, what did people around you think? I don't know because I turned around and walked away pretty soon after that. I saw a lot of other people, though, that were kind of taking a better stance on it, and they were pulling off little groups of three and five people and saying, like, here's what we actually believe. This guy isn't... He's not representative of yeah. who we are. And that was a much better approach, and I, I learned to do that later, and I started doing that whenever the Brickyard Preachers would show up. You remained a Christian, even though you sort of left the evangelical Christian? Yeah, I, I, I don't identify myself as evangelical or Southern Baptist anymore, um, but definitely Christianity is still important to me in the context of Christ's example, but I'm not happy with what a lot of people tend to do with that. So it's kind of hard for me. Like, I don't attend a church. Okay. It's, it's, and that's kind of hard for me because I, I say, you know, okay, well, my religion's important to me, but I don't really go with the congregation. Instead, I have a small group of friends that I like to talk about, talk that kind of thing through with because it's, I don't know, it, it's hard. Anytime you get something codified and written down, it starts becoming difficult to, to work around. So let's talk a little bit about sex education and like mm. growing up, how you formed those views before you got to college. When I was, so I, I did go to a public school for part of my life and we had our sex education class when I was in fifth grade at that public school. And I started going to the Christian school the year after that. And we didn't hear about sex education until 10th grade. Um, so it was a little bit delayed and Even, you know, in fifth grade, it was human reproduction. This is how everything happens biologically. It wasn't really a practical, like, here's what you do to not get pregnant or spread STIs or anything like that. And we didn't get that at 10th grade either. It was abstinence only. It was very much like, this is what will happen to you if you have sex and you are permanently scarred forever and will never get that back in how did you feel about that? Did you take it in? Oh, I I absorbed it. I was the little poster child for that culture for a while, and I had a little purity ring that I had stopped wearing it pretty soon after I graduated, but I still had it. I had worn that all throughout middle and high school, I think, and um, I was, you know, I was one of those kids bought into the purity culture and all that. So. Was it hard for you? I mean, I guess if you were in the environment with just other Christians, well, um, my current wife is the only woman that actually deigned to date me when I was, uh, well, at any point. So I didn't actually have a girlfriend or, or in uh, middle or high school. So I didn't, I guess you could say I didn't really have a lot of opportunity, um, not for lack of trying. But everybody, as far as being, you know, on board with the purity culture, it was such a big echo chamber that if you weren't, you were the outcast. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Is it something you thought about or it was just you took it as a fact? I kind of took it as a, I, I took it as a fact that, you know, okay, well, your virginity is very important, you can't get it back, and it's, you know, you will be forever changed after the moment you have sex. And I feel like that kind of had a bit of a backlash impact, because they made such a big deal about not doing it, that everybody that I knew was like, that is the biggest, like, pivotal moment in my life, is the day that I have sex for the first time. And I, I think it backfired really badly. Yeah, how do you feel about it now? I, I wouldn't say it was a big pivotal moment. It's 
sex is important and it can be a big deal. And it's, it's undeniable that it creates emotional bonds, but it is not this like, it is not this moment that if, if you have it in, if you have your first time in the suboptimal circumstances that you're tarnished forever and that you're, it's not something that you'll never recover from if it's bad. And it's not something you'll never come down from if it was good. It's, it can be big and it can be, be impactful and it can be something that sticks with you, but it's not that, that life changing epoch that, that the purity culture makes it out to be. So when you were in college and you started thinking about your faith differently. Did you also start thinking about sex differently? That didn't really come until later. There were a lot of things that, because I felt like I really needed to reconstruct my entire worldview. And sex was one of those things that I didn't really get around to until later, until I started dating my wife. And then it was kind of, I, I kind of just fell into naturally the roles of, okay, well, we, we have to make sure we don't do this. And she was, she was kind of on board with that. She, she, she wanted to respect my, you know, my choice to, to try to, to not have sex until we were married. From a technical perspective, we did. Tell me a little bit more about your wife. She's from up north, and I actually met her in, oh man, okay, so I basically lost all of my friends, um, in college, all the all the friends that came from from my high school to college with me, kind of shunned me because I was still trying to be the little perfect Christian poster boy, and some of them went way off the deep end the other direction. So I, I basically didn't really have any friends, and my mom actually recommended I go to Campus Crusade for Christ, and they were having a <clears throat> they were having a mission trip where we would basically go out, and this was a little this was a couple years after Hurricane Katrina happened. And so we would basically go down to New Orleans and help people clean up down there. And it was down there that I met some guys who eventually became my roommates. Uh, and I moved in with them. And they dragged me out to a martial arts class where my wife was. And, oh, cool. uh, and it was it was kind of one of those extra, extracurricular things. And she liked me when she saw me, which was a new experience for me. And I, I liked her. And we started, I think we, we had lunch every day for the next week. And then I asked her out on her birthday, actually. <laughs> so... So you guys made a fast connection. We did, which was something I had not anticipated. And I had, and again, the, the whole purity culture thing made sex and relationships way bigger of a, of a deal. It was like this huge requirement that you had to get. I had gotten to the point where I had torn myself up over it so much, over nobody gave me blah, 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 that I was just like, all right, I'm going to relax. I'm going to do me. And if somebody comes along, then that'll be fine. And it was a week after I made that decision that I met her. I had always thought that this was going to be like, I was going to know her and I was going to be her friend for like a year before we I asked her out. I had never thought that I was going to ask somebody out within a week, but we had, like you said, kind of an instantaneous connection and we had lunch for a week and then I asked her out and she, she actually beat me to it. Um, I, I didn't want to do it over chat and we were on AOL Instant Messenger, which, you know, back in the day, I guess. Rest in peace. Yeah. <laughs> But um, she sent me a chat message saying, like, so I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I thought we maybe should date. And I was like, well, you kind of beat me to the punch. And I didn't want to be the guy that asked you out of her text. She was like, yeah, I couldn't wait any longer. That's so. very sweet. So how long <clears throat> did you date before you got married? Um, well, let's see. We started dating in 2008, in the, the fall of 2008. And, oh man, is she, I, I gotta, I gotta make sure I get this right. Let's see, in July, no, June 7th of, let's see, 2011, I proposed to her. 
and then we got married in December of 2012. So that was about a year and a half that we were engaged and about, so then almost three years of dating. And we actually, within a couple months, we decided that we kind of wanted to get married. And we were, we had a very open communication and that was really good. And that was something that I credit toward us staying together for as long as we did. We talked about everything. We talked about our sexual expectations, our financial, you know, how will we handle this if we get married? And we were having these conversations like two and three months into our relationship. So we already knew we wanted to get married, but we decided let's not do that until we're both out of college. What do you think made you guys communicate so well? Did you learn that from your parents or how did you come to that? I learned that from my parents. I, I think I also picked that up through... I picked that up through a lot of negative examples. I had this thing even back then of like watching sitcoms and just seeing all the stupid problems that come from people's relationships when they don't communicate. And I actually, when we first started dating, I sat down with her and I was like, look, I want to have the kind of relationship where we don't hide anything from each other because I believe that that is what will kill it. And if there's something that we feel like we need to hide, that'll kill the relationship sooner rather than later anyway. And I'd rather have it, have it happen sooner so we can get on with our lives. So we actually sat down and we were like, this is how we're going to address this. We were really deliberate about it. How did your parents shape the way that you grew up? <clears throat> my parents were kind of a mitigating factor on the craziness that I got from my school. A lot of times I'd come home and I'd be like, hey, this is what we learned in school today. And my mom and dad would be like, uh, okay, well, here's maybe a little healthier way to look at that. And they were a positive example for me in a lot of ways. Are they still together? They are, yeah. Uh, they actually just recently retired, so, but they're, uh, they're still together and they were a, a lot, a lot of the things that I learned to do well in my relationship, they did in theirs. So I feel like I did, I drew a lot from them. Do you think your wife has a similar experience with her parents? Yeah, her parents are still together too. And, um, and she's, you know, she's, I can tell that a lot of the, the things that, that she does and that she has, has learned comes from them. Cause when I, you know, when I met them and I started seeing them interact, I was like, oh, that's where she gets it. Does she come from a Christian faith? She comes from what she refers to as the the Cheester Christians. They went to Christmas or they went to church on Christmas and Easter, and so it was never a really big deal for her. When she got into college, we actually, my friends and I, actually ended up dragging her out to Campus Crusade for Christ. It kind of became more of a more of a thing personally for her, and she she had what the evangelicals would call her salvation experience. Um, I still remember when and where we were when it happened. So it was, for her, it was very new, and it was, she was getting a lot of the, kind of the more adult version, not the ch child indoctr indoctrination that you get when you're in a Christian school. So she kind of got to, to compare that to a worldview and take or leave what, you know, made sense or what didn't. Sure, so she got to have the benefits of community and socialization, but not the sort of condemnation, this is going to ruin your life sort of. Yeah. Part. And and Campus Crusade, I think I want to say it's an evangelical or at least a or it's a Baptist or at least an evangelical organization, but they were not nearly as bad about it as as our school was. So you know we 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 went to Campus Crusade for Christ, and it got to the point where she was the one dragging me out of bed to go to church. We kind of it kind of fell off after we graduated because um, we couldn't really find a church that we were terribly comfortable with. And I was still, and am still, kind of working through, going through all the stuff that I was taught and picking it apart, and I'm still finding things that make me cringe. That was kind of limiting our church options. But. How did it impact your relationship when she went through the salvation process? Was we that were, an expectation that you had of her? 
it kind of was. And I, looking back, I don't think I would have, I don't know that, I don't know whether I even pushed it at all. I don't, it wouldn't have been a big deal to me, as big of a deal to me now as it was back then, because then it was like, oh, she's a Christian. That means I can date her without feeling bad. And I don't remember now whether it was, I don't think it was during that first week when we were just talking and weren't dating. I think we had actually started dating and then that happened. At the time for me, it was a big deal. It was like, oh yeah, my girlfriend's a Christian now. And I, th I think for her it was a big deal because it was definitely an emotional experience and it was, it was important. It was something that she, you know, she realized about herself and about the world that she decided to, uh, to embrace. But it wasn't this big, I've been a terrible person all my life and now I'm, you know, going to be a child of God thing. It was, I, I don't know how to explain it. It was a big deal for me at the time, but looking back on it, Again, it was still a big deal for her personally, but I think the thing I was focused on was, oh, my girlfriend's a Christian now, so now it's okay. Sure, like it took some guilt away from yeah. how you were feeling at the time. Uh, so fast forward, uh, leading up to the wedding, mm -hmm. you guys have already talked, decided not to have sex. Was that an important conversation that you guys had? Did you develop emotional feelings around that conversation? We did. There was definitely some guilt when we got a little too close or, you know, when we when we got more intimate than we felt like we should. I feel like a big defining factor of evangelical Christianity in general is, is that guilt. We got to the point where we were kind of like, okay, well, even if this does happen, it's not going to ruin us because we've already decided we're going to get married and we're going to be together. And if it happens, you know, a few months before the wedding or after you know, whatever, we're still going to try for it. And we did, but we're not going to, you know, fall on our swords if we don't make it. When it happened, did it live up to your expectations? How did it meet or not meet them? By then, I had kind of gotten a little, a, a fair number of the sexual taboos out of my head. And I had had people adjust my expectations more. And, you know, my dad, when I started dating her, had given me the talk about protection and this and that. And, so, you know, I never got that from my school. That was my parents, again, the, the mitigating factor. I, I would say it lived up to my expectations, but not in the ways that I thought it would. And by then, my expectations were a lot more reasonable. It definitely did not live up to my, my expectations when I was in high school or middle school about what it would be like. What were your expectations when you were in, like, middle school and high school? Uh, if you can recall. I feel like I, I had this idea that it was going to simultaneously be this, like, mind-blowing carnal experience as well as this transcendental spiritual bond that formed. and Because it's, like, growing up in that type of school, it's a gift from God that's special for married people. Well, yeah, and it's not just that. that it, it's, it's described as this metaphysical bond. I can't tell you how many times I heard, you know, every person that you have sex with, you give a little piece of your heart, and you will never get that piece back. They will always have it. And so, you know, I felt like I was going to go through, it was going to be so, like some kind of Vulcan mind meld, like spiritual entanglement thing going on. I had no idea what that was going to be like, but I, by the time we got there, I knew that that wasn't going to be the case. I, I knew that it was going to be a whole lot of hormones and that it was probably going to be fun, but that it might not be because by then I knew that it, a lot of times your first time is awkward and weird and it'll get better with time. So you had a couple of things going on. One, you got married. Yeah. And two, you had sex. Yeah. Is it... Can you tease apart? Not really. Um, <clears throat> we already had a house by then, by the time we got married. Her parents had actually been kind enough to buy the house and let us live in it until we could start paying rent to them. It was... It didn't really change 
a whole lot, except that I moved in with her after the, our wedding night. That was actually, I want to say it was, the, well, no, we went, we went on a cruise for our honeymoon, and then after that we came back and we moved all of our stuff in into our new house, or I had been moving most of our stuff in. I think, I, I want to say I was sleeping on a bed in my parents' guest room by the time we, we had the, uh, the wedding. Do you think it brought you closer at all? Definitely in the short term, but not on the, I feel like we already had the kind of, you know, the spiritual connection that that was touted so much. We we had we already had a very deep emotional and spiritual connection. We'd already been through a lot. We'd already weathered several storms together and we were already in the place that my my teachers in that our school said that we were going to be in by having sex. We were already there. For you by that point, you weren't waiting for this big pivotal moment because you already had all the things in your relationship, not physically but emotionally that allegedly sex was going to have brought you. Yeah, but by the time I got it, I mean, I was already deeply in love with her, and it was, by, by the time we had sex, it was almost like icing on the cake. Like, it was something we'd been looking forward to being able to do together for a very long time, and it was always very difficult to not get ahead of ourselves, but by the time we got it, it was not that that huge pivotal moment. I mean, I still remember, I still remember the night in great detail and all that, but it didn't change anything. Are you glad you waited? I am. Um, I'm glad to be able to, to say that I did because that's that was the most difficult thing I've ever done. Uh, and it's just, but not on a level of like, whew, I dodged a bullet and I didn't have that premarital sex that was going to screw over my life. It was just, I kind of like being able to say that I did it because I feel like that gives me a fairly unique perspective because a lot of people will say, oh, well, you don't know what it's like to wait. And I'm, yes, I do. <laughs> I've been there. I've done that. Being able to say that I did it, I feel like lets me take a, a, an approach to, to people into certain topics that I wouldn't be able to take otherwise. So you've been married for how long now? Five years in December. Uh, how has your relationship changed over the past five years? Because you're still married. Yeah. Happily. Mm-hmm. We're, I mean, we're more comfortable with each other, obviously. We've gotten more comfortable around each other. We've learned about each other. We've kind of, like, equalized between our personalities. Not that we were that different to begin with. I mean, this is, I got my wife to play D&D with me, which I never thought I would. Mostly just kind of settled settled into the roles. I mean, it's, uh, I've seen a lot of relationships and, you know, in one year one or year two or that kind of thing. And we're, I mean, we're still going strong. What do you think attributes your happiness? On some level, it was luck that I met her, and it was luck that I, she was the one that I was initially attracted to. But after that, I, I don't think that we would have gotten... I would not have gotten to that point of getting married, I think, with somebody who wasn't going to be compatible with me. So I guess it was luck that she was my first try, or at least that I was I was her, her first try out of college. We sat down and we were very deliberate about everything. We, we sat down and we said, look, we are going to be on each other's team for this. It is not going to be a me versus you ever. We need to make sure that we approach everything together and that we talk through everything. And if there's something we think is going to be a problem, we bring it up at a an appropriate time. That was something I had to learn. That's like, not every time is the appropriate time to have a discussion about something that may be problematic. You know, you wait for the appropriate time, you bring it up, you talk about it, and we preempt as many problems as we can. And I think that's what's helped us. There have been a lot of things that could have thrown us a curveball if we hadn't sat down and talked about it a long time ago. Do you believe in, like, the one? Do you believe in, like, a soulmate sort of situation? Or do you attribute it to work or both? Or I, I attribute it to work. 
I very commonly tell people love is not something that happens to you. Love is something you do. It is some, It is a, a choice that you make over and over and over again, day by day. And I believe in the concept of the one, but not in that there is somebody out there for everyone and that one person is the person you're destined to marry. I, I don't believe in that. And I, I think that's a very damaging idea because if you miss out on something, if you screw up a relationship, you leave yourself asking, was that the one? Did I screw myself up? Am I never going to be as happy with this person? And I, and that was, that was something that played in a lot to the, the evangelical roots was that, you know, God has your entire life planned out, so don't screw it up. But right. If God had it all planned out, you can't, exactly. you can't screw it up. Yeah. And that was something that I had to you embrace. Really through it, yeah. yeah. Cause God planned for, God plans for your mistakes as much as he does for your successes. So I believe that you can make yourself the one. For someone else and that ideally they will do the same for you and I, I believe that you know some people are, are more compatible than others starting out and that to some extent you can change yourself in order to be more compatible with somebody in order to get along with them better although you should always be careful about changing yourself because sometimes you're not always going to change yourself for the better so that's something to watch for yeah I don't I don't believe in the one as an idea of a predestined person that you are going to be with for the rest of your life that you know they're out there and all you have to do is meet them and then you'll click how does faith play into your relationship currently i know you said you don't currently go to church but you still have that component so faith to me has taken a much more subtle route in in our worldviews it is instead of it becoming something that we you know we do and we talk about it's something that kind of underlies the things we do. It, it gives us the, the, the motivation and the, the hope that we need. You know, when we see things happening in the world, it's what lets us fall back and say, okay, but God is still God, and it's, still, it's going to be okay. It, it gives us something outside of humanity, which is often disappointing, that we can look at and say, okay, but we know that eventually it's going to be all right. And it also gives us, I mean, it gives us something, it gives us a reason to to preserve our integrity and to, to be good even when no one's watching and we don't think there's anything to to gain from it. So it's not really something like a ritual that we participate in all the time anymore. We don't really sit down and have quiet times when we, you know, pour through the Bible or anything like that. It's more of something that we kind of, we have underlying as the foundation of our, the way that we approach the world. And it, it gives us both a reason to do what we do and, and the strength to do it. So it sounds like it's sort of like a home base, like a grounding point of like, this is what a good person is. This is sort of how we can yeah. progress through life. Yeah, it, it, it gives us our, our direction, kind of. The, it gives us the both the way that we interact with the world and the reason that we do it. So in your marriage, do you guys view each other as equals or do you have some remnants of men leading a relationship? How does that affect your current situation? So when we first met, we had this, I, I was still kind of shedding some of those ideas, as I said, and she, you know, she, she considers herself a feminist, and I, I do too at this point, and I was, I was kind of like, you know, I feel like I should be the spiritual leader, and she, her response to that was, okay, I'll do what I can to help you with that, which, as far as that goes, if that's the paradigm you want to take in your relationship, that's a great way to do it, but... Over time, it kind of became more of just, we didn't see the need to assign roles of leader and submissive or that kind of thing. We said, all right, we are two perfectly capable, functioning, intelligent human beings who have decided to share a life together. We are going to make our decisions together. That's that. Final question, um, and maybe it'll be two-part. 
Okay. Uh, so the final question is, if you had advice for someone who is considering losing their virginity, uh, what would it be? And I'm going to give you two parts. Uh, one, maybe for someone in a Christian faith, and then one for just a general anybody. Because I think you could speak to both. <clears throat> so... For the general in the Christian faith, if there's a Christian person who's considering losing their virginity, I would say be very deliberate about how you value it. Really sit down, evaluate, what am I expecting out of this? Is it reasonable? And realize that virginity is not something, it is not this priceless gem that you can never get back once you give it away. It is not this this horrible, nasty wound that will happen to you if it happens in the wrong circumstances. Your, your first time is often not the most important sexual experience you will have. And it is not something... It, it will not be your only chance at anything. It is... It is definitely something that is important. It is something that can... That is, it, it can be very formative if you let it. But it will the biggest impact that it will have will be the impact that you let it have in your own mind and your own thoughts. The all the other stuff, the 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 hormones, the spiritual connection, stuff like that, that those things can fade. And they can fade faster if you try to make them fade, or they can be kept up longer if you try to do that. So it's not it's even as powerful as it can be, it is temporary. And it's not something you will not be able to recover from or that you won't be able to get back. Would you recommend waiting? I don't think I would make a blanket statement that I recommend waiting. I feel like if it, there's, I don't think there's any harm in waiting as long as it's done from the appropriate standpoint. And it's done with the idea that this is, you know, we're waiting because we don't want to get hormones involved. We don't want the chance of pregnancy and all that. If you have the right reasons to wait, there's no harm in waiting. And I would say, if you can wait, you should try for it, but don't fall on your sword if you don't make it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of V-Card. If you would like to tell your story, send an email to thevirginitypodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week to hear the story of this woman. have to answer it because it, I mean, if it's my parents, we need to, to start constructing some stories here. So I uh, put my robe on. I, I put on my mother's bathrobe because as a 17-year-old girl, I don't have a bathrobe. Put on my bathrobe and my, at the time, best friend is standing at the door. And she said, hey, I was driving by. I saw, you know, saw your car here. What are you doing? And I said, I'm losing my virginity.